Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Good morning to you all. Um, For those who are visiting, uh, my name is Tim. You may not have met me or seen me yet. I'll tell you a little bit about myself a little bit later, Um, but we're just so glad you're here. And um, what we want to talk about is these Christmas questions. We've been going over these essential parts of the Christmas story that caused some of our friends and family to doubt uh, whether Christianity is even real or reliable. And I hope by the end of today, we'll see that at the very least, it's reasonable to believe in this thing that we call Christianity, that Jesus is the true Son of God and the Messiah that was prophesied to come, that at least it's a reasonable thing. And for yourself as a believer, that you would be encouraged to know it's reasonable, right? And also that maybe if you're coming here and not knowing uh, what you believe or having doubts about the Christmas story, that you would feel welcomed here as we wrestle together with some of these uh, challenges. And so even when we light these Advent candles, it reminds us of, of God's love and God's hope and God's peace and God's joy. And so we are simply praying that something today would capture your attention, that you would see the goodness of God, uh, that you would sense his love, that you would believe these prayers that we've been praying, these songs that we've been singing, that it's true, that it's true, that it's true, this gospel story, that God really came for you to make a way back to himself, that you would believe that it's true. And so we're praying that in the power of the Holy Spirit uh, could remind us that when we say yes to Jesus, yes to his love, yes to his grace, he enters in and he leads us, and we pray that you would leave this place knowing that is real, and that we won't get distracted, and so we light candles too to remind us of the real reason. Uh, We see shiny lights, we see shiny commercials, shiny advertisements that these things, this or that, buy this, buy me, and then you'll be happy, then you'll have joy, and the candles are a simple reminder, no, it's always about Jesus. It's always about his presence, always about his love. In the midst of our struggles even, in the midst of our suffering, he is present and with us. His light will never extinguish. If you say yes to him, he welcomes you in. But we can get distracted, right? There are different things that are vying for our attention, uh, especially the last several weeks, but even in the next coming week, saying, buy me, get me, and then you'll be happy. If you're looking for a last-minute stocking stuffer, let me give you a couple ideas, okay? So these were, if you Google most expensive gifts of 2019, you'll get some of these, okay? You ready? Last-minute stocking stuffers. 24-karat gold shoelaces. Everyone needs a pair of those, right? Just $19,000, okay? These are real items you can buy. Dolce & Gabbana's solid gold and diamond-studded sunglasses. You can imagine me wearing them right now, can't you? I look fantabulous. That is just, listen, $383,609. A very precise price, because at $610, no way I'd buy them. But $383,609, that's a deal. Okay. Now, uh, maybe you're a marine biologist by trade, $2 million personal submarine, could be your thing. Or if you're on a budget, $250,000 gets you on the Virgin Galactic's flight into space. Okay, So you budget-minded people. Now, most of us aren't distracted by these kind of extravagant offers, right? But we Americans, just to remind you, we collectively as just Americans, not globally, Just Americans during the holidays, that's basically about Thanksgiving until around New Year's, New Year's Eve. During the holidays, we will spend $1 trillion this holiday. $1 trillion, that's with a T. So even if you're not distracted by Dolce & Gabbana sunglasses, 
star, you know, diamond-studded this or that, submarines, silliness, right? But I bet you could easily get distracted that you might think Christmas is not about Jesus. That you might think, if I just get that, if I just bought that, if I could just achieve this, then maybe something would bring me the peace that I want. But the reality is no matter extravagant the gift, nothing can satisfy like Jesus. And that's a word for us Christians today to remind us, right? In the middle of all the potential distractions, nothing can satisfy like Jesus. And for those of us who are maybe not yet followers of Christ, it's to maybe entice us to believe that this Jesus is who he says he is. That Jesus who says he is, he is the one who was predicted to come from ages ago. And he's the one who who he himself is saying, and I'm letting you know, I'm predicting that I'm coming back. But not as a baby in the future. I'll come back as a victorious king to welcome any who said yes to me. And so this is, this Christmas, this is not sentimentality. This is life and death stuff we're talking about. Nothing can satisfy. I know most of you aren't distracted by Diamond studded this or that, but we can believe that something else out there besides Jesus will satisfy me. Perhaps a new job, landing my dream job. If I just got that, then I will have peace. Or maybe it's if I just had that relationship, or if I could just get that old relationship back, or if my boyfriend could just change, then everything will be right, right? Then I'll have peace. I'll have the love I'm looking for right? Maybe it's reconciliation with a family member. Very important stuff, right? You can see how our hearts, even during this Advent season, we say, oh no, it's all about Jesus. I'm keeping the focus there. But we, even in ourselves, maybe it's not buying something. We think, if I just had that, then I will have peace, joy, the love, the hope that these candles represent, right? If I just had that, and we can get distracted by things that aren't the person and the love and the hope of Jesus, Because we can sometimes get so enthralled with the idea that if I just had that thing, then I'll be happy. We don't realize that those things that we want, these good things that we turn into ultimate things or great things, they can't handle the weight of your expectations. You want your kid to finally get their act together and that's going to give you peace? Well, your child was never meant to give you eternal peace. And all of you are saying, well, amen to that. That has not happened, right? And guess what? Some of you are saying, well, just if my parent or parents just got their act together, then I could have peace. Well, guess what? That isn't their job to give you ultimate peace. You're looking in the wrong place. The things that we expect to give us peace, to give us hope, to give us joy, outside of Jesus, they will be crushed under the weight of our expectations. A relationship, a job, an attainment, whatever it is, it will be crushed under the weight of your unrealistic expectations, but not Jesus. He will never be crushed by you expecting him to rescue you, to fill you with hope, to give you peace. You will not crush him because that is why he came and he chose to come, to give you a love that will always last. Do you want this Jesus? You got to send your life around him this Christmas. We don't want to get distracted, right? So let's take a look at Luke 2 and Malachi 3. If you're following along, I'll start with Luke 2. We've got this great story from Simeon. I'm going to encourage you because they're spending so much time in just a couple verses to read all of Luke 1 and 2. Maybe you're doing this already in your own time with the Lord. And maybe as you're reading the Bible, if you're investigating Jesus, you're reading the gospel stories. We encourage you to do that. So read Luke 1, Luke 2, but to give you an overview, in Luke chapter 2, we get a picture of the incarnation. We get a picture of Jesus being born in Bethlehem to Mary, his mother, and Joseph, who is not his biological dad, but will be his human father. And we get this picture of the eternal son 
coming to earth as a baby. We get Luke's emphasis in particular, which is different than John, different than Matthew, different than Mark. But Luke's emphasis, as you read this nativity story, is actually on Jesus' humanity. It was a uh, particular angle he was taking on the gospel story. And so if you, look, if you read Luke 2, you'll see him reporting these fascinating childhood stories of Jesus. In Luke 2, you'll see the dedication of the temple at eight days old, which is what we're doing today. And he receives his name at the temple. And then the Passover visit when Jesus was left behind at age 12, okay? And some of you are saying there's biblical precedent for leave my kids behind. No, 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 okay. So Luke 2 says that Jesus was submissive to his parents. Hear that, kids, right? Submissive to his parents as well, and that he grew physically and grew mentally. And as you keep reading Luke 2, and even as you read Luke 1, you'll realize Luke is trying to say Jesus was not a phantom. Jesus was not a ghost. And Jesus was not just a prophet either. Jesus is God himself, but yes, in the flesh, a real human being. He walked this earth, a real historical person. The person of Jesus of Nazareth is a real person of history. And that is Luke's emphasis in the first century we see, and even in now in the 21st century, how ever more important is to say Jesus was a real historical person. And that we believe the things that he says about himself are true, that Jesus is who he says he is, the Messiah that was prophesied from ages before. And so Luke makes it clear that Jesus, that God in Jesus Christ was not just vacationing here on earth, wasn't just passing the time, but he came to rescue us. And Jesus particularly chose a path of suffering, a path of humility, a path of vulnerability in order to rescue us. He took, he took this great risk and took on suffering himself that you might know his goodness. He was a prophesied deliverer. We'll see from Malachi when we take a look at that and from Luke 1 and 2 as well. So take a look at those passages on your own as well. I love how um, my friend Dale Bruner says, he says, in this gospel of Luke, we have learned to think of God in another way, that the gospel's God is so great that he can come down. Indeed, God's love is evidently so entire that he wants to come down. And to the satisfaction of believers, God has proven his love by the record that he did come down and touch our ground. And so the greatness of this gospel's God, in short, is that this God not only sends, but he comes. That Christmas is the story of God becoming one of us. And as Dr. Bruner says in another portion of his commentary, it says, he not only had to come, he wanted to come. And I just want to say that almost as a prayer to any one of you, that God wants you. He likes you. He loves you. I don't know if you'll hear anything else I say, but I hope you hear that. God is smiling upon you and wants you to know. He went through great lengths that you would know him. And he's gone to great lengths maybe even to convince you to come. And you thought there were free tacos after church today, so you came. But God tricked you and because he had a word for you today. He had a word for you today that he loves you. He knows you. Maybe you're coming back to him in some way. And that I just want you to see a picture. Maybe imagine, because I believe it's true that he's smiling upon you. And he's glad that you're here. Maybe there's something for you to hear today. I hope that maybe that is maybe the one thing you needed to hear. So this was God himself making sure that we knew that there is nothing he wouldn't endure to reveal his deep love for us. That unlike our Muslim friends, we're in Islam, 
where Allah sends prophets and angels to help humanity. And we see some of that in the Gospels too, right? Prophets are being sent. Angels are being sent. But unlike Islam, that where Allah sends prophets and angels to help humanity, what God's word says is that God himself came to us. And not only that he had to come, but he wanted to come. God wrapped in our skin, as one writer puts it. He chose this path. He chose to come near, and he wants you to know he is still willing to come near to you right now, today. So it's been saying the past few weeks, this is God on a rescue mission to win us back. And so we light Advent candles to remind us of our longing for Jesus, this rescuer who came, not so we can have a sentimental Christmas, not so we can have a wonderful turkey and ham, love those things but so that you would know you can have a love that will never be extinguished and that this life can go on to eternity, a new heavens, a new earth with you, with God himself, experiencing a peace that everyone wants. Nothing can buy that peace. Nothing can buy that love. Only himself coming for you. And so I, I, I pray for anyone who has any barriers today to believe that. Maybe you're coming here just saying, it's just just a rough day today. I'm just having trouble believing this whole God thing. Well, welcome. I'm praying that God will increase your faith, that you would feel embraced by God, even in the midst of your doubts. Because I'm going to answer your questions today, because I'm going to try to tackle a particular question as we've been doing in this series. We've been asking ourselves about the Christmas story. Can we believe these crazy things that it was a virgin birth? Can we believe this crazy thing that uh, somehow that Jesus is fully divine and fully human? Can we believe this crazy thing that Jesus, the Messiah, was prophesied about accurately hundreds of years before his arrival? And I don't know if I'll convince anyone, but I'm hoping I'll convince you that it's reasonable to believe. Reasonable. Because I can't prove to you that it's true. No one can. But I hope it's reasonable when you walk away today. And for those who are followers of Christ, that you would have the encouragement to maybe share this reasonable faith as you spend time with your friends, or for those who are not yet followers of Jesus or coming with even deeper questions, that at least you'll walk away saying, okay, maybe it's reasonable. Let's look at this a little bit more, okay? What are you looking in terms of the answers? And I know it might not be one of those three questions. You might have other things you're questioning about the Christian faith. You might even wonder that if I believe these things that the Bible says is going to cost me my job or is going to cost me a certain relationship or just cost me my own sanity because it's hard for me to believe in a a miracle-working God, like, I just want you to come honestly with that today because that might be where you're at. I'm just praying for you that maybe something that the Lord will prompt in you today would help you take a step closer towards more faith in Him. Okay, so first of all, when we take a look at Luke chapter 2, it's quoting, uh, it's fulfilling an idea from Malachi 3. And so I want to turn back to Malachi 3 for a second. I'm going to tell you why I think it's a fulfillment of it. So in Malachi 3, which is on page 802 for using our church Bible, uh, the Lord is speaking and says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. Now, I want you to get this picture that God is speaking about the Lord, but kind of about himself, right? He's kind of talking almost third person, but it's really about himself. But it does say a messenger will come. So we actually have two predictions that Luke 2 fulfills from Malachi 3. First of all, there'll be a messenger that precedes the Lord himself coming. 
Now, we know that messenger to be John the Baptist or John the Baptizer might be a more proper term. That John the Baptist who came as this messenger that Malachi 3 says, before the Messiah comes, before God himself as Messiah comes, a messenger will precede him, or as God says, me. And we know that messenger to be John the Baptist, okay? Then also from Malachi 3, 1, it says there'll be an arrival in the temple of the Messiah himself. And just keep in mind that the Lord, Yahweh, is referring to this person as himself. You get that sense? He's talking about the Messiah, but he's talking about him. So you already have that, that, that mixing of that idea that the Messiah is not just a son of David, but a son of God and somehow God himself. Now, in Luke 2, 27, when we come back there, we see it says, And he, which is Simeon, Simeon, came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he, meaning Simeon, took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Now, why did he say that? Because Simeon was told by God that before he died, he would see the true Messiah. Now, I don't think necessarily that Simeon knew that he interpreted Malachi 3, that it would be in the temple. But I think, I suspect that he does. I'm not telling you that that had to be the case. But I suspect, suspect that Simeon, who says, who, who, according to Luke, Luke knew that Simeon, maybe by he interviewed Simeon or someone Simeon told, that the Lord told him he'd see the Messiah before he died. And maybe Simeon, because he was a good Jew who worshiped in the temple constantly, knew and memorized Malachi 3 and knew that there'd be a messenger first. And I'm not sure Simeon knew it was John the Baptist or not, actually. But maybe he knew it'd be a temple visitation. So maybe he went to the temple every day, waiting, waiting, waiting. Is this a day? Is this a day? And what Luke says is that Simeon was convinced by the Spirit, that's what it says, by the Spirit that this was the Messiah. And so Luke is saying that Malachi 3 is being fulfilled. That's just one prophecy. So I want to give you the picture of what we're talking about when we talk about Christians saying that Jesus fulfilled Old Testament Hebrew Scripture prophecies. This is one of them. Some people say they're 55. Some people say they're 60. Some people say there's 120. Some people say they're hundreds. I'm going to talk about maybe roughly eight today, mainly this one, but kind of give you a picture of what eight fulfilled prophecies might mean for us. And so now this is an important detail that the Lord's Messiah which in Micah 3 is also talking about himself, but he's talking about the Messiah, the one to come. There'll be a messenger first, and then there will be a visitation in the temple. Simeon says, I've met the Messiah. It's Jesus, this baby he's holding, perhaps eight years old, eight, eight days old at this point. Okay? Now, this is important because the temple didn't always stand and exist. Okay? So Malachi is predicting a day when the Messiah will come into the temple, the Lord himself as the Messiah and this is important because at 70 CE, or you might know as 70 AD, the temple is destroyed. So that means the Messiah does have to come in a certain place at a certain time. There was placeness and there was timeness in this prophecy. Now, there were other temples prior to this temple, but the Messiah had to come to a certain place, certain time. Now, this is important. It's not some small detail. In fact, if you have any Orthodox Jewish friends, some of them even say, because you know they don't believe that our Messiah is their Messiah, right? If they're worshiping as Orthodox Jews, they believe the Messiah is still to come because they don't believe that Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies of Messiah. So our Orthodox Jewish friends, though, some of them even say today, the temple must be rebuilt so the Messiah can come back to Israel and save his people. There's a little detail, though. 
Because if you travel to Israel, like I've done, some of you have done, if you go to the Temple Mount, what's there right now instead of the temple? Our Muslim friends, the mosque, the beautiful dome, right? Dome of the Rock. So in order for the Messiah to come back to our Orthodox Jewish, some of our Orthodox Jewish friends, that first they must basically destroy the Dome of the Rock and build a new temple, and some even say that to start the sacrificial system again, the whole bit, okay? Now, that's kind of a problem, right, <laughs> for that to happen again. That's going to start World War III, and there is talk of these tensions, right? How do we do it? So this is no small detail that the Messiah is going to arrive at the temple. We believe Jesus fulfilled that 2,000 years ago. So what we want to see is that Jesus, this is one prophecy. I gave you a second one that a messenger must precede him. We believe this messenger was John the Baptist. Well, maybe hundreds of other predictions. I'm going to say maybe 55 or 60 specific ones from the Old Testament, Hebrew scriptures. But I'm going to make a case that you could argue that these predictions about Jesus were fulfilled by him as a true Messiah, and this had to be more than coincidence, had to be more than sheer luck, and that the mathematical probability is at least something to consider, okay? So I'm going to do the math real quick with you. Now, you might say, well, Pastor Tim, what role do you have in doing math? And so you might not know in a past career, um, I wasn't, wasn't modeling like some of you think, I wasn't modeling, but what it was, was I was a math teacher. Now, I was a math teacher, and I was a math major, so I studied applied mathematics at UCLA. And I realized very early on in this career that this was not a good choice because there's a lot more smarter people than this Yahoo. Um, so I was fine. Underground math was fine. Calculus, no big deal. Um, upper division math, like mind blown. Okay, so anyways, so very difficult for me, but I did take a class on combinatorics, probability, all right? So this is kind of in that probability realm. Uh, I'm going to do some simple math for us today. I might be wrong, a little rusty. I did this late last night, kind of penning out some numbers, and so if I'm a little off, forgive me, but I, I think it gives you an idea. But even though I was a math major, my mind can't really comprehend um, some of these probabilities. Now, famous uh, story is in 1969, a math professor, was actually in Pasadena, where I just moved from, but he later became I guess, the uh, professor emeritus at Westmont, um, PhD in math. Well, in 1969, he interviewed and did work with 600 students calculating the probability of Jesus, of the Bible, fulfilling eight prophecies. Not 100, not 55, but just eight. And many of you, if you grew up in the church, you've heard this story before, okay? So what he said after doing all the math, virgin birth, you know, Bethlehem, all these different things, he said conservatively, and he used very conservative numbers, the probability of Jesus fulfilling just eight of these prophecies would be one in 10 to the 17th. Now, you have to understand, I did math in college, but one times 10 to the 17th is like a mind-blowing number. I even had, I wrote it out last night, but a one, and I had to write 17 zeros. So to the 17th, math people, okay, 17 zeros. And I'm like, that is one in 100 million billion. Mind blown again. Okay, so I was like, wait, I don't understand. I literally had to write it out. I had to like put commas in. I'm like, wait, 100 million billion. Okay, so, so I had to dumb it down for my level. So I Googled like, okay, what, like, what is a billion? You know, okay, so I got this thing and it said this. It 
can take three Olympic-sized swimming pools if you filled them with M&Ms. I like M&Ms. I like this analogy. So if you fill three Olympic-sized swimming pools with M&Ms, okay, the, the typical length, width, and depth, that would fill, fit about 7 billion M&Ms. I'm already getting hungry, okay? So imagine 7 billion M&Ms with these three, okay, pools. Imagine they're end-to-end, okay? Long way end-to-end. 7 billion right there. Okay, I can imagine that. So just imagine this 7 billion, me taking one of those M&Ms that I mark it with, you know, a cross, and I close my eyes, and I, oh, ouch, and I throw it, and it lands somewhere, and then you go mix them up. And my job is to go try to find that one marked M&M, right? One in, that's, a, that's one in seven billion, right? Pretty hard to do. You guys getting the picture of this? I am getting hungry now. Okay, pretty hard to do. Seven billion. Now, I think one in 100 million billion, which is a one with 10, 17 zeros, is more like, imagine, not three Olympic-sized swimming pools end-to-end, but 42 million of them end to end. You take your M&M and you throw it and you mix it up. And to give you a picture, if they were end to end and it circled the earth, you would circle the earth a hundred times with Olympic-sized swimming pools swimming end to end and me launching it from space. Now, my math could be wrong, I admit, because you've got to think about this. Even the guy who did this in 1969 how do you even put a probability to a virgin birth? Like, what ratio are you going to use? It's basically one over infinity, which we all know approaches zero. It's, that's impossible. And whenever you put something that approaches zero into equation of probability, it makes it all zero. It makes it everything impossible. So they threw out some, like, super conservative number. So even the, like, eight prophecy thing is a super conservative number. The one M&M in the 42 million Olympic-sized swimming pool, that's a conservative number. So forget the math, okay? My mind's already blown, and I'm hungry. Okay, so forget the math. All we're trying to say is this. We should take the historical person of Jesus of Nazareth seriously. Does that make sense? We should take him seriously. That's all I'm asking you to do if you are not a follower of Jesus. We should take him seriously. That it would actually be intellectually irresponsible to not consider Jesus of Nazareth for who he said he is. That he is the prophesied one that came and that he's telling you he's coming again. That it'd be intellectually irresponsible to ignore the math that Jesus fulfilling even some of these predictions about him are remarkable, right? Forget the number. Don't get in a fight around Christmas about the number and Patrick Tim's math is off and he went to UCLA and that's like a feeder school anyway. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, don't get into fights over me. I'm just saying it's intellectually irresponsible to not consider Jesus of Nazareth as a historical person who made incredible claims about himself that we should say either he's, Jesus was crazy or uh, he uh, was you know, arrogant or he was a trickster or maybe he was who he really said he was. That the mass should at least lead us to say, I should seriously consider this Jesus. You know? And that's why I love so much of what we do at CPC, you know, from our youth ministry to working with adults and children. We're just trying to invite them to get to know the person of Jesus, to take him seriously, to consider following him. And many have followed Jesus because of that consideration, right? So today's scripture helped us make the case that people were expecting the Messiah to fulfill these 
Old Testament prophecies, dozens of them, in fact. And so what we could see is that these holy ancient books predicted his arrival with impressive accuracy. Let me give you uh, at least some of the eight I'm even alluding to. His virgin birth, Isaiah 7, arising from Bethlehem in Micah 5, the bloodline of Jesse, Isaiah 11, preceded by a messenger and visiting the temple, Malachi 3, entering Jerusalem on a donkey, Zechariah 9, the list goes on and on. It would be intellectually irresponsible to just say, you know what, Jesus is just one of many paths. He's not. He is a unique person of history that I would charge you, you should seriously consider following. And for you believers, that you would rise up in faith and say, why am I so shy to share about this Jesus? Why am I so hesitant to, to let them know how he's changed my life? And, and, and why am I so hesitant just to let people know? It's reasonable to believe that this is true. It's reasonable. And I'm saying it's intellectually irresponsible to ignore the evidence. Because in between the beginning and the end of your life, you have to decide if you believe this Christmas story. Is it true? Will you believe and say yes to the gift of his son, the gift of the Messiah, the gift of God wrapped in our skin, who says he came to rescue you to make a way for you to spend eternity with him, a new heaven, a new earth, beginning right now, living in you now, forgiven now, empowered now, joyful now, in the midst of many, many great struggles in our lives. He's offering you his life right now. This is what Advent means, that God came to earth for you to give you a gift. And this Christmas story is at least reasonable. And I want to encourage you, especially if you're a newer believer, this is reasonable stuff. You don't have to feel like you're crazy. There's good reason to keep following Jesus. There's good reason even beyond your own personal experience. He's a historical person, fulfilling prophecies. The math should at least make us say, you know what? This is something we should consider. I want to take a look at Simeon's response in verse 29 of Luke 2. And he says again, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. Let's pause there. When I was preparing this message today, for some reason, the Lord put that word peace in my mind, in my heart, that I should just leave that with you, peace. Maybe it's because as I look around this world, I'm seeing a lack of peace. As I read the news and open my email, my news feeds, there's just lack of peace in people's bodies. There's struggles going on people's health. There's a lack of peace in some of my friends' financial situations. There's a lack of peace with strained relationships, a, just a lack of peace. And so when I read that, that Simeon, when he encountered Jesus, he experienced God's peace. And I just want you to know I'm praying that for you even right now, that if anyone came in today without peace, that you would experience it because of Jesus of Nazareth, the prophesied, predicted one who came and died and rose again, that you would have his peace. I don't know why you've come in without peace, but there's plenty of reasons that I have on my list. I'm sure there's plenty of reasons on your list. I'm praying for peace. Because when Jesus showed up, he was the prophesied Messiah, and his prophesied name was Emmanuel, God with us. And when God is with you, and when you know he's looking upon you with love, when you know he's forgiven your sins, when you know that he has made a way for you to be with him forever, you will experience peace. We don't want anyone in this room to leave today without knowing his peace. 
See, in this series called Christmas Questions, we've been trying to answer uh, these basic facts of the Christmas story, that Jesus was, a, was born of the Virgin Mary, uh, that Jesus was fully God and fully human and he walked this earth, that Jesus was the prophesied one, predicted hundreds of years before his arrival. We're trying to make the case that these things are reasonable. But I'm telling you, no amount of reason will bring you peace. It won't. I, I'm not going to be able to logic you into the kingdom. It's by you simply saying, even with my doubts, Pastor Tim, I choose to believe. I'm, I'm going to say yes to this love you're talking about that you say will never run out, that I will never be thirsty. And not, I'm not saying you're not going to hurt again. You're not going to struggle again, or you're not going to doubt again. But I'm saying when you say yes to Jesus, follow him. Say, I believe this story. I want you in my life. Lead me. He say he'll come in and he'll bring you his peace. I can't prove beyond a shadow of doubt that the Christmas story is absolutely true. I believe it is. I can't prove to you it is, but I'm hoping you see it's reasonable. And even for us believers that we would walk out saying, yes, this is a true story that I could share. Because you can't lose God's love. That's a gospel story, that Jesus didn't come to bring on more guilt. Jesus didn't come to bring on more rules or religion. He came to free you and invite you in. He gave his eye simply out of his goodness, not based on anything good in you. That's good news, that your salvation, your peace is not based on your goodness and your record. It's based on his, his perfectness, his perfection in you. Because Jesus is a special person. He's the only king who gives away everything so that you can have everything. And that's a difference from our friends who follow Buddha, because Buddha didn't do that. Our friends who follow Islam, because Muhammad didn't do that. And if you're looking for money or praise to fill your soul, it's not going to do that for you either. You make money your Lord, it will own you. And it has owned many of us, hasn't it? We've known the pain of either worshiping money or fearing money. Fearing money really is worshiping money, right? Fearing of losing it or striving to gain it. The expectations you put on that thing, which is really a tool, will crush you. A relationship that you long to to make your life peaceful, it'll crush you because that person cannot fulfill everything you need. Only Jesus can. Only the unlosable love. And so to remind you, today we celebrate Advent. That's what those candles mean. Jesus coming as a baby. But one day in the future, there will be a second advent. And he will not be a humble little baby. He will be a victorious, powerful king who's coming back for everyone who says they want to be aligned with him, who wants to be his friend, who wants to be his servant. Jesus says, I'm coming back for those who know me. Do you know him? And do you want to know him better? And here's the reality of that hundred million billion, okay? We're going to spend a hundred million billion years with God in this new heaven and new earth, and God will look at us and say, we're just getting started. This is just the opening chapter of eternal peace, eternal joy, eternal love, even for those who are suffering, especially for those These holidays can be some of the toughest times for people. We're reminded of the losses in our lives. We're reminded of the broken places, the cracks. Even in the midst of all the celebration, I want us to get a picture of a Savior who wanted to come as a baby. And it wasn't all clean and pretty and clear. It was messy. 
and Mary's life was messy, and Joseph's life was messy, and his upbringing was likely messy, that Jesus came in the midst of that, poor and vulnerable, in order to take up a cross. Jesus understands that he was on a rescue mission to come and make a way. And so he knew it would be messy. He's not at all uh, looking at your life and the mess and the doubts and the tears and the cracks and saying, well, I don't want anything to do with that. He's saying, this is exactly why I came. It was a rescue mission. I came for you to bring healing, hope, love, peace. Nothing else can satisfy, he reminds us. If we believe that the scriptures accurately predicted Jesus' first coming, then we should take seriously Jesus' own predictions about his second coming. He says, I will be coming again, and I will be carrying you until that day. But keep your focus on Jesus. And so we're going to pray that way. If you would join me in this short prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you that your word is true, that you really did come like you said, and you really are coming again. Oh, Lord, we can't even imagine a hundred billion years in your presence, Lord, that we're just getting started. And so we pray, Lord, that little picture might encourage us today to increase our faith in you. Lord, I pray for those who come with serious doubts, that they would leave this place knowing that they're loved in the midst of their doubts. And I pray for all of the believers in here who are walking out just fired up to share about you. That's great as well, Lord. Thank you for the work you're doing in our lives. But I pray for all of us that we would experience the peace that surpasses understanding, which comes in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Oh, Lord, nothing else can satisfy. And so I pray, Lord, that we would grab tightly onto the reality of your presence in our lives. As we go around tables and we're sharing in food, even as we go and shop, Lord, may we never forget that you're coming back. And as we have every breath, Lord, our job is to point people to the reality of your presence, Lord. Oh, Lord, the math is mind-blowing. Lord, all that you went through to come to us and all that you continue to do to secure us for when you come again. Lord Jesus, thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.